This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. September the 20th, 2023. Nip in the air this morning. It was uh, 50 degrees this morning here. Love it. Uh, I apologize for not being here yesterday. I am semi-retired. Um this is kind of my uh, my fun gig, but I'm you know, but I do work occasionally. And yesterday, uh, my boss uh, had a project that she needed me to work on ASAP, so I had to uh, take the morning off to get that project done for her. So, but we're back, um, and uh, uh, plenty to talk about. The wild card races continue to heat up in Major League Baseball, which is which is fun. Um, before we get to that, a few other things, uh, some football news. Uh, Nick Chubb is uh, going to be out for the rest of the season for the Cleveland Browns. Nobody surprised by that after the news uh, we heard after the Monday night game. And if you were watching it, and I was, but I, I have to be honest, I didn't see uh, in live action how bad it was. But I, I applaud ESPN for not showing the replay. There's been people that have been critical of that. Um, not showing, you know, how he got hurt in that game. But nobody needs to see that. I'm still – I know this is going to sound silly, but I'm still scarred from when Joe Theismann uh, got hurt when he was playing quarterback for the Redskins. Remember when he broke his leg and they showed the replay uh, on television? I think it was a Monday night game. And I, I want to say it was 1986? No, 85 probably. Something like that when he got hurt. And I will never forget the replay of watching his leg literally snap. I almost threw up. And from and it sounds like they showed the replay in the stadium on the huge board and everybody in the stadium gasped. And, uh, and Joe Buck and, Joe, and uh, uh, Troy Aikman both said, yeah, we're not going to be showing that. Which, I, again, you know, in this day and age with sensationalism, everybody wants to see everything. There's just some things we don't need to see. You feel bad for Nick Chubb. He's, he's probably going to go for a few other opinions, but it sounds like he completely ripped that knee, like maybe ripped every ligament in that knee. Um, you actually have to be concerned if you're Nick Chubb if he is going to be able to resume his career or when he does, what kind of condition will he be in? Um it's the same knee, by the way, that he hurt back in 2015 when he was at, at Georgia and had it reconstructed. So, you know, having to do that again, you really uh, get concerned for his career. Feel really bad for the kid. Um, and uh, the, that's a huge loss for the Browns. It's so bad that the Browns are bringing in Kareem Hunt for a workout. Uh, Kareem Hunt is a guy that 
uh, was with Cleveland for four years. He's 28 years old. He led the league in rushing back in 2017 when he was with the Chiefs. And uh, But he was pissed off with Cleveland, uh, asked for a trade in 2022, and uh, he played all 17 games, but uh, he wasn't the same player. He only rushed for about 500 yards, a couple hundred yards receiving. But this is a guy that obviously knows the system, could step right in for Cleveland. Uh, you know, I don't know what kind of shape he's in, but theoretically this is a guy that could step right in uh, and play next week. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be difficult for Cleveland to contend without Nick Chubb. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on Deshaun Watson. And as we have seen so far, uh, last year and this year after coming back after that, uh, fiasco, uh, with the massage therapist, et cetera, et cetera, after leaving Houston, he is not the same player. I, you know, not saying he can't be, but you would have thought that, you know, having half a season last year and then, uh, you know, the training camp and starting out this year that we'd see more of the Deshaun Watson that we saw in Houston, and he's not that. So uh, stay tuned. But I feel bad for Chubb, and, and whether it's Kareem Hunt or whether it's uh, the kid Ford that uh, that ran for 100 yards after he got hurt uh, or Pierre Strong who's going to move up on the depth chart, or, you know, whatever. But uh, it's going to be a difficult uh, road to hoe for the uh, uh, for the Cleveland Browns without Nick Chubb. Uh, other, the other football thing I wanted to bring up, um, the, the Patriot fan that died uh, at the game this past weekend, uh, word has come down that uh, there was a witness that came out yesterday and said that the guy who died – was punched in the head at least twice. And, you know, speculation is is that may be what led to his death. Uh, and it was it was a Miami Dolphin fan that did it. They I guess the two of them had been kind of arguing off and on all game. And uh, uh, I guess things got physical. And there's a guy that actually shot video of the fight which I'm sure that the authorities now have because uh, we're going to have to find out. They're going to try to find out, obviously, who the fan was that did it, and uh, some questions are going to have to be answered. There's an autopsy getting ready to happen um, or has happened, and they expect the results sometime this week. But, um, look, we've seen this more and more often at sporting events Um I mean, look, you you uh, you combine the passion for a sports fan, and you could make the case that uh, football fans are probably the most passionate because the game is so violent that it actually, you know, it kind of brings that out in people, I think, sometimes. But you combine that passion with alcohol, and nothing good can happen. Nothing good. You know, and um, I've been in sporting events before where there's been altercations in the stands not far from me. And it's, you know, at first you're looking at it like, wow. And then, you know, if it starts to spread, you get a little bit nervous. And, and uh, you know, and at my age, I, was, I said to my wife last night, well, if I needed another reason not to want to go, you know, <laughs> to a big event, this is it. 
You know, I mean, it's just it's it's uh, it's unfortunate. The the guy was uh, the die was fifty three years old. I guess he had been a season ticket holder um, for quite a while with the Patriots. So it's just they said I think he said thirty years or something. Um, but I mean, it's just terrible. It's just ugh. so you know. We all love our team. Jesus, I love the Red Sox. I mean, I'm we all you all know that listen to this show for the last six years. What a huge Red Sox fan I am! I can't imagine ever being so passionate about it that I'm ready to beat the snot out of something. as much as I hate the Yankees. I can't imagine trying to beat the snot out of a Yankee fan. Even you know, even even 20 years ago when I was a lot younger, uh, you know, I mean, I just I don't, I, I'm just not wired that way. And I also don't drink beer. <laughs> so when I go to games, you know, I'm not drinking beer. And I, I know they offer other things at stadiums, but that's just not, it's just not who I am. And I, um, again, you know, passion plus alcohol, not necessarily a good thing. So. Anyway, uh, that's that's what we're at as far as the NFL goes. The other football thing I wanted to talk about was this um, this crazy thing that has been going on with the Colorado-Colorado State game. Look, that was a wild game. There was some chippy play there, and uh, but the biggest issue of that game was the cheap shot that uh, Henry Blackburn laid on Travis Hunter to the point where Travis Hunter has a lacerated uh, liver and is going to miss the next three weeks, including a huge game this week um, with Oregon, number 10 Oregon. They've got a huge game coming up in two weeks against uh, USC. He's going to miss that. Travis Hunter is a two-way player. He plays. He's a wide receiver and a quarterback, a cornerback. He is a great player. And, you know, it's, there's some people that don't believe it was a cheap shot, um, but he was defenseless, and so uh, that's why they have um, that's why they have rules like that in the NFL. You know, like about hurting, you know, hitting defenseless receivers, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, um, what's happened after the game was Blackburn's family and Blackburn himself. Got death threats. Again, this is where we are in this country. We can't just be upset about something. We have to threaten somebody's lives. I mean, look, we see that in politics all the time, you know, or whatever. I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, somebody does something you don't like, so you're going to call up and threaten their lives or threaten their family's lives? It's just awful. Well, Deion Sanders addressed it yesterday. The Colorado coach, who you would think has the most to be upset about since it was his player that got knocked out. But he said, look, that Henry Blackburn, he said, is a good player who played a phenomenal game. He's still a young man trying to make it in life. He does not deserve a death threat over a game. And this is the coach who lost his player because of that hit. He said, I forgive him. Our team forgives him. Travis Hunter has forgiven him. Let's move on. The kid does not deserve that. Amen. Say what you want about 
Deion Sanders. You know, I have some. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of people that toot their own horns and look at me, look at me. But Dion's been that way his entire life. He was that way in college. He was that way in the pros. He's that way as a coach. All that aside, he is 100% right. And, you know, it shows that Dion's not a dope, you know. And and as somebody who played the game and as somebody I, who I am sure, you know, did some stuff that was on the borderline when he was playing – he probably recognizes that, look, in the heat of the moment, stuff happens. Let's calm down. This, at the end of the day, this is a game. The same thing with this, these fans at the Patriot-Dolphin game where a guy gets killed. Folks, it's a damn game. And I, I've said here, I get upset at my wife. I'll be watching the Red Sox game, and I'll be just livid because they've done something stupid. They've made, you know, their 8,700th error of the season or whatever it is. You know, two guys, two straight guys have walked and the next guy swings at the first pitch. You know, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. And my wife will look at me and say, it's just a game. And I was like, shut up. (laughs) But at the end of the day, she's right, but it doesn't mean that, that you can't be passionate about your team. What you can't do is carry that passion into punching somebody's lights out or threatening their lives because you don't like what they did in the game. I mean, it's, it's just it's where our society is. And I am convinced. I mean, it was a problem before, but I am convinced that the COVID pandemic has made it's so much worse. With the number of people that had to stay at home, right, and uh, work from home, no social interaction, you can't hang out with friends, you can't go to the store, you can't go to a game, you can't do this, you can't do that. People have completely forgotten any kind of social grace, any kind of, of just knowing how to behave yourself around other people. I'm it's it's I mean, look at look at the abuse now that we see that's far worse at restaurants, the the way that servers get treated now. I mean, what is what has happened? We go from having a medical emergency around the globe to people becoming feral. Literally feral. You know, it's like a you know, it's like a cat that's been a stray cat and had to live on its own for long. They become feral. They can't be around other cats or other people. And that's what that's what a lot of humans have become. And it's both sad and disgusting at the same time. But when we see our politicians, hello Donald Trump, and your ilk, Marjorie Taylor Greene and your ilk, when you see our politicians acting the same way, what the hell do we expect? But I am convinced that the pandemic had a lot to do with the increase in violence, threats, uh, just pettiness around the globe because we just, you know, we have just completely forgotten how to be around other human beings. It's gross. Um, one other thing, the NBA, I, and I applaud this, by the way, uh, the NBA has uh, instituted a new rule. This came out, uh, at, I think, on Friday, and just haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. 
the NBA is now going to regulate or keep an eye on how teams rest their players. You know, every team has what they call load management, where you're trying to make sure that your players get rest, you know, so that you're not, you know, so they don't play, you know, three or four games a week. You know, they're making sure you get time off. Well, the NBA, the, what's, what's happened is it has become so bad that there are times that a team's two or three best players don't even play in a game and they just mail one in. And the NBA has said, no, we're not going to allow that anymore, especially when you're on the road. Why? Because there are times that teams will come in or, you know, a team will come in and there are people that will buy tickets just to see that team, like the Celtics. And if they, if you, if that is the only time that team comes to town and you bought a ticket just to see the Celtics and neither Jason Tatum or, or Jalen Brown plays, you're saying, why the hell did I spend all this money on a ticket because your two best players didn't play? How many times have we seen uh, LeBron James, they just give him a day off? Or Kyrie Irving? Or Steph Curry? Or Chris Paul? Or whoever? Or Paul George, you know, Kawhi Leonard, you know, just taking days off. And it's it's not a good look for the league. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The NHL plays as many games as the NBA does. You can make a case that the NHL playing a hockey game is more physical and more difficult than playing a basketball game. And you do not see NHL players resting the way that NBA players do. It doesn't happen. You know, baseball players that play 150 games a season. Look, uh, you know, you can make a case that baseball is nowhere near as physical as basketball is. It doesn't mean it's any less skilled, but it's not as physically taxing. You're not running constantly the entire time. So you can make the case that it's a little bit easier for a baseball player to play every day than it is for a basketball player or a hockey player. But if a hockey player can do it, why the hell can't a, can a, uh, a basketball player do it? But they've become so pampered and so used to this that they, they, they can get away with it. You know, that's why NBA players can say, I, I want to be traded. Not only do I want to be traded, I want to be traded to this team, and it happens. Right? I mean, it's ridiculous that these players, these superstar players, can say, I, I want to be traded, but I only want to go to this team. And somehow it miraculously happens. That's how super teams are created. But I applaud the NBA for doing this. Uh, it's not a good look. You know, and, and they said, look, you know, if somebody's hurt, that's one thing. It's going to be on the injury list. We're going to know. But if it's – and, and there's, what they're saying is they're going to require star players. People that have played in an all-star game or made an any NBA all-star team in any of the last three seasons to be in every national televised games or in-season tournament games unless they're hurt. So that means that the teams are going to have to figure out a way to give guys breaks in games that, that aren't showcase games. Or when it's your only trip to a to a, another city. And the Players Association was part of this, you know, coming up with this. And the, and the other thing that's important to note here, and the commissioner, Adam Silver, brought this up. They have done studies that there is not a direct correlation 
between rest and major injuries. Rest does not equal good health. And that's even when the teams were allowed to do the load management the way they wanted to do it. It didn't decrease the number of major injuries in the NBA. So it's more about pampering, essentially is what he is intimating here. He didn't come right out and say that. But it's more about pampering than it is about trying to make sure somebody doesn't get hurt because what A does not equal B. So I think that's great, you know, and I can't tell you the number of times I turn on an NBA game, and I'm not a huge NBA fan. I've made that clear. I love college basketball, but the NBA, the only time I usually watch the game for the most part is in the playoffs. Playoff basketball tends to be much better because guys actually care, and they actually might play a little defense. Um, But I can't tell you the number of times in a regular season where I would turn on a Celtics game, and there's no Jalen Brown. There's no Jason Tatum, and there was no Marcus Smart half the time. And so it was like, you know, it's Larry Moe and Curly. And you're supposed to compete with that. And the fans that have paid premium money for a seat to that game are getting ripped off. Absolutely getting ripped off. And by the way, there's also no coincidence that this is happening at the same time when the NBA's uh, TV contract is set to be put out to bid again. And if it is not, if it is not a uh, uh, an attractive product, they're not going to get attractive media dollars for the rights to broadcast NBA games. So, uh, but I, I think it was I think it was long time coming for the NBA to step in and do something because it had gotten just ridiculous. All right, uh, baseball yesterday. The Red Sox, um, not their season means absolutely nothing. All they can do is play spoiler. Uh, they did play spoiler on uh, Monday night by beating the Rangers. Last night they lose 6-4, so a much-needed win for the Rangers. Um, and we saw more of the same from the Red Sox last night. I mean, it was the same formula that we have seen all season. Uh, a starter that can't go five a bullpen that pukes it up. It's been that way all year because your bullpen has now gotten to a point where you have overworked these guys so much that you can't put in your best bullpen guys. You know, and uh and and the guys that are your good bullpen guys are exhausted. John Schreiber is not the same pitcher now that he was in the beginning of the season or last year. Overworked. I mean, Brendan Bernardino has become <laughs> One of your more reliable guys out of the bullpen, along with Chris Martin. Winkowski, not the same guy. He's getting getting beat around um, because you've used these guys to death. Last night, Tanner Houck was great for four innings. Great. Had given up two hits. Looked great. He was up 3-1 to one after four. Comes out in the fifth, and it looked like a completely different pitcher. And ends up, you know, having to leave the game. They still had the lead at the end of the fifth because Bernardino did a great job of coming in and, and keeping the tying run from scoring. But, you know, didn't matter because after Bernardino leaves the game, they go to Jovera, who's got an ERA of over five, couldn't stick with the San Francisco Giants, but he's a big part of our bullpen now. You know, now Murphy comes in. He's got an ERA of damn near five. He gives up a couple of runs in a third of an inning. It's like, you know, same stuff different day 
and the and and you have to continue to wonder whether Tanner Houck is truly a starter or not. Because how many times this year have we seen him come out and throw three or four great innings and then he just throws up on himself? Walked four guys last night. He, the fifth inning he couldn't find he couldn't find home plate with a compass. It was that bad. So, you know, and and, and but at the same time and um, Alex Spear pointed this out in the Boston Globe this morning, and he's right. It's hard to get on Tanner Houck's case too much. It's a guy that a couple of months ago got hit in the face with a baseball and had to have uh, surgery. So, you know, but he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, setting the world on fire prior to then. But at the same time, it's hard to really get a true gauge on what Tanner Houck is considering that now it doesn't seem like outwardly it bothers him and when he talks it doesn't sound like it bothers him but how can it not so you have to uh, you have to kind of factor that all into it but I am of a mind that right now and and I know this is terrible if I had to pick between if if you told me right now you can have Tanner Houck start the game or you can have Nick Pavetta start the game I'm going to pick Nick Pavetta every time Nick Pavetta's got swing and miss stuff, and he is capable of going out there and throwing, you know, five, six innings. I'll pick him every time. And that's how much my confidence in, in Tanner Houck has slipped. But Tanner Houck out of the bullpen, you know, for a, a guy that could, you know, you want to go out and got to get two innings out of a guy in the bullpen, I'd pick him for that because for two innings he can fool people. You know, the problem is is that his delivery is is very difficult to replicate every time because he's all over the place. Is is you know very loosey goosey with the arm and his arm slot moves all the time and and uh, so it's hard for him I think as, especially as he tires to repeat his delivery. So I think he's going to be a better bullpen guy in the long run, but we'll see. Uh, the Red Sox also on Tristan Casas done for the year bursitis in that right shoulder. Um, they're going to work on a, a, a treatment program. He doesn't need surgery. Uh, he'd like to come back and play, but Alex Cora just said there's no point. Um, Kenley Jansen was supposed to be back from the team. He's on the COVID list, uh, but he uh, will not be activated before the weekend. He still hasn't been cleared. So, um, you know, so the bullpen uh, will be uh, short of quality arm. Although, again, Kenley Jansen has been between the knee and the COVID. He has been uh, very hittable his last few times out as well. It's 32 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll actually talk about some games that, uh, some other games that mattered uh, in the American and National League wildcard races. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. Um, games that mattered yesterday: uh, the Houston Astros and the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles win the game nine to five. They stay. Two and a half games ahead of Tampa in the American League East. Houston uh, has now lost two in a row. They are struggling. They've lost two in a row and six of the last ten. Their lead in the AL West now down to a half a game over both Texas and Seattle. Houston has played one more game and has one more victory. That's the difference in the standings right there. And Houston now, with that loss at home, two in a row, they are now under 500 at home, 38 and 39 at home. It is uh, it is rare to see a playoff team and a team that has 
is what sixteen games over five hundred to be under five hundred at the on the road. I'm trying. I was look. I was just looking, and right now the uh, I don't believe there is another team that is in the playoff hunt. Oh yes, there's one team in the playoff hunt that has a under five hundred record at home, and that's the Cincinnati Reds. And the fact that they're even in the hunt is still boggles my mind. The Reds are thirty-seven and forty at home. But other than that, every other playoff contender, all over 500 at home. Hell, the Red Sox are 500 at home. <laughs> so that tells you how much of a struggle it has been for the Houston Astros. But Austin Hayes last night, uh, two home runs for the Orioles, um, four runs batted in, and uh, he hit Hunter Brown a three-run shot uh, in the third and then a solo shot uh, in the seventh. Um and uh, the Orioles show no signs of slowing down. Uh, Kyle Gibson wasn't great starting the game last night, but the bullpen did a, a wonderful job. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle missed his sixth consecutive game, but uh, he's close to coming back um, for the Orioles. They need him back, but there's no rush, right? I mean, the Orioles would love to win the division, and you'd like to think that they will. When you, when you look at the, uh, at the schedule – the Orioles, it's it's not going to be easy for the Orioles, right? They uh, uh, Their schedule down the stretch is rough, and it could come down to those last four games against the Red Sox. But they are in Baltimore, but they've got uh, – They've got to be. They've got to be on the road after this Houston series. They go to Cleveland, and Cleveland is no walk in the park. You know, Cleveland is still a competitive team. Yeah, they're they're not the team they used to be, but they are going to have their hands full uh, with four games in Cleveland. But like I said, I really believe it is going to come down uh, to those four games at home with the Boston Red Sox. So uh, if the Red Sox want to play spoiler, and that's really all they have left. Uh, they've got their opportunity. If you look at Houston, Houston has six games left with playoff teams or playoff contenders. After the Baltimore series at home, they have the Kansas City Royals. You would think that they'll handle the Royals fairly easily. But then they finish the season with six on the road, three at Seattle, and then three at the Arizona Diamondbacks. So that is not an easy finish for the Houston Astros as well. And uh, uh, they will send Christian Javier to the mound today. Javier's 9-4, but he's got an ERA of uh, 4.7. Kyle Bradish, looking for his 12th win of the year, will take the mound for the Orioles today. Um, he's 11-7 with a 3-1-2 ERA. And by the way, you know, we talked about how, how much the Astros have struggled at home. Perhaps more impressive is how good the Orioles have been on the road. They are 50-26 and 26 on the road. 50 and 26. 24 games over 500 on the road. That's just two away from their club record. Uh, their team in 97 won 52 games on the road. It's just the second time in franchise history they've ever won 50 games on the road. So, uh, you know, the the... the uh, uh, the stuff that this team has done this year and with so many young players has been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays uh, hold serve. It uh, was a bit of a struggle. They were tied 2-2 going into the bottom of the eighth, but then a four-run eighth inning. 
Uh, the kid Basabi, who came up, the only reason he's even on this team, uh, the shortstop, is because of what happened with Wander Franco when he got in trouble with uh, uh, the suspicions of uh, relationships with girls that were under 18. So the only reason this kid is even there is because of that. Uh, he comes up with a two-run double in the eighth inning that breaks the tie, and uh, they go on to beat the Angels by a final of 6-2. to two. Uh, You know, look, it's one of these things, you know, the Tampa had pitching injuries. They lose, arguably, uh, you know, one of their two or three best offensive players in Wander Franco. Uh, Randy Rosarena is probably the and Yandy Diaz this year are the heroes uh, offensively for that team. But you know, losing him, losing Wander Franco was really a blow. But again, what the Rays do all the time, it's, it doesn't seem to matter. They find a way. Uh, Tampa's st- down the stretch. Uh, when you look at their schedule, uh, it's all AL East. They have six games left with the Blue Jays. Six. Um, the Blue Jays right now um, are nine games back of Tampa. Tampa is going to be the number one wild card. It is not even if even if Toronto swept all those games from Tampa, they still would trail. So Tampa is going to be the number one wild card. The only question is is whether they can handle Toronto and manage to win. Uh, the AL East and send Baltimore into the playoffs, but or into the uh, wild card spot. But we'll see. Uh, Aaron Savali is going to pitch for the Rays today. Uh, he's two and one with an ERA of about four point four in the eight starts that he's made with Tampa since coming over from Cleveland uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, and uh, but he is. Not been as good as I think the Rays had hoped him to be, but he he has been uh, good enough with that offense. Uh, the other news out of Tampa ha- is that they have a deal supposedly on a new stadium, so the Rays are going to stay uh, in Florida. The deal is for a domed ballpark that is going to be in the same neighborhood as the Trop. Thirty thousand seats, permanent dome. Uh, so it'll be smaller. It'll have a better dome instead of that that ridiculous looking thing they have now with the catwalks, and you know it makes it so difficult to catch a ball. One point three billion dollars, and it is supposedly going to be co-funded. That the Rays are going to pay for half, and then Pinellas County and and St. Pete are going to uh, uh, to handle the rest. Supposedly, uh, look, I you know great. The trop is a dump. But the problem is I, the, the, the reason people don't go to those games isn't because the Tropicana, that Tropicana Field is a dump. It's because it's not in a great place. It's not convenient to get to. It's not the greatest neighborhood in the world. Now, part of this is going to be uh, this ballpark is going to be part of a revitalization of that whole area down there. But from people I know that live in that area have said it's just not an easy place to get in and out of. And, uh, I mean, I guess having only a 30-seat ballpark, it'll be great when there's only nine, ten thousand 10,000 people in the stands. <laughs> it won't look quite as empty. But at the end of the day, they have not shown the ability to, to put butts in the seats on a consistent basis, and I don't understand it. When you have a team that is that good, how do you not fill the stadium? 
15,000 last night. That's one of their big, bigger crowds. And I guarantee you the reason that they drew 15,000 last night is because the Angels were in town and people bought those tickets ahead of time thinking that Mike Trout and Shohei Otani were going to be there. I guarantee it. So I, I, And I would be willing to bet you that there weren't actually 15,000 people in the stands. But the tickets were bought ahead of time because of Trout and Otani, and neither one of them was there. Shohei Otani had uh, surgery on his elbow yesterday. And uh, it sounds like it wasn't true Tommy John surgery. They did some kind of a bracing procedure on the UCL. They said he is going to be ready to hit opening day of 2024. So he'll be able to DH all of next season. He will not be able to pitch until 2025. Um, And, again, we'll see how that impacts – um, his market when a team is going to, you know, a lot of people think that he is going to eclipse the $500 million mark for his contract. Now, you wonder if it will be quite that much if a team realizes they're only going to have him as a hitter for next year. Now, granted, you know, he's he's a good hitter, right? I mean, uh, uh, he, still can, he still can, you know, hit you – 40 home runs a year, 40-plus. Um, so, you know, but if you can't have him as a pitcher, if one of those years you have him is only going to be as a one-way player, and with that, with the fact that he has had a couple of surgeries on that elbow now, you know, you wonder if that will impact. I, I don't see how it can't impact to some degree the amount of money people are willing to spend on him uh, based on the health of that elbow. I mean, hell, he's just a DH now. You know, and in the Red Sox game last night, when Alex Spear was on uh, with Dave O'Brien and Kevin Millar, you know, during the uh, couple of innings, you know, they asked about Otani, and he says, "Well, everybody." And I said, "I've said this. Everybody's got to check in." But Dave O'Brien pointed out correctly: the Red Sox have plenty of DHs, right? And it's not that you wouldn't welcome a guy like Shohei Otani, but when you look at it logically, where do the Red Sox put him? I mean, he's going to DH. Well, then, what do you do with Masha Yoshida when you have younger? more athletic players that can play left field. And what do you do with Justin Turner? Does that mean there's no way Justin Turner comes back when you know Justin Turner can DH and Tristan Casas is your first baseman? What do you do? Does that mean that that Justin Turner is going to be a one-and-done in Boston? I hope he's not. But when you look at the the roster construction, Shohei Otani does not make it make sense in Boston. It just doesn't. Uh, other games last night to talk about. The Blue Jays beat the Yankees 7-1, so it was a good day <laughs> uh, watching the Yankees lose. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi picks up his 10th win of the season. George Springer, a home run, his 57th leadoff homer uh, of his career. Yesterday was his 34th birthday, kid from New Britain, Connecticut. Uh, his 57 leadoff home runs. Uh, second in Major League Baseball history to Ricky Henderson's 81. At the end of the day, that is a that is a meaningless stat. It really is. I mean, it's like Ronald Acuna Jr. who has like 30-something leadoff home runs. It means nothing. It Maybe it meant something more in the old days when your leadoff hitter was a guy like Ricky Henderson, a guy who was a burner. But look at what we in around Major League Baseball now. They don't. It's not about speed and your leadoff spot anymore. It's about getting on base. Kyle Schwarber hits leadoff 
for the Philadelphia Phillies, right? Kyle Schwarber, ladies and gentlemen, is hitting 198, and he's, uh, you know, he's so slow they time him from first to second with an hourglass, right? So it's not about speed. It's about getting on base, and Kyle Schwarber walks a lot. Now, his on-base percentage is not the greatest. If you look at strictly on on-base percentage, Bryce Harper should probably be their leadoff hitter because his on-base percentage is close to 400. Um, but anyway, so the, the, the leadoff home run thing, it's more of a, you know, eh. It was, it was the headline in the AP this morning, but it's like, meh, it doesn't really matter. But what does matter is the Blue Jays win uh, 7-1. So uh, they uh, are now a half a game ahead of Texas for the number two wild card. And uh, essentially what you look at now in the American League, uh, Toronto's 84-67, Texas is 83-68, as is Seattle. So those three teams for two spots. Throw them in a hat and see what you got. Uh, Kevin Gaussman will take the mound for Toronto today. Uh, He is 11-9 with an ERA of about 3 and 3.4. Michael King will get the start for the Yankees in that one. It is 49 minutes past the hour. We've got to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. It is 51 minutes past the hour. The uh, The Mariners win last night. They beat the A's 7-2. Luis Castillo uh, picks up his 14th win of the season. Uh, he struck out eight over seven innings. He's 14-7, and seven, uh, ERA 3.06. He is having a hell of a year. Um, he is close to pitching 200 innings this year. Uh, and in every, in, how about this, Red Sox fans? In all 31 of his starts this year, Luis Castillo has gone at least five innings. Uh, he is 8-0, and oh, by the way, in his last 12 starts. The last loss was back July 14th to Detroit, of all teams. But uh, Seattle keeps rolling. George Kirby will get the start today. Uh, George Kirby, who last time uh, uh, had some things to say when he uh, was le- he felt he was left out there too long. That didn't go well for him. But he'll get the start looking for his 11th win of the season. Uh, Joey Estes is coming up to make his major league debut uh, for Oakland in that one. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Atlanta Braves. By the way, this Atlanta Braves offense may be the best in history. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, but Acuna hits uh, two more home runs last night. Two more. Uh, three for five in the game. He's hitting three thirty-eight. So down to him and Mookie Betts for the MVP. Uh, he now has 39 home runs, and uh, he stole another base. He has 67 stolen bases. You know, this guy may end up with he's gonna he's gonna end up with over 40 homers and 70 stolen bases. Something that has never been done in Major League Baseball history. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Spencer Strider picks up his 18th win of the season last night. Uh, it's going to be interesting whether he wins uh, Cy Young or not. You know, wins have been devalued so much, but he leads the league in strikeouts. But his ERA is 3.7, and there's guys uh, that have, you know, ERAs that, that have double-digit wins whose ERAs uh, are lower than that. Uh, look at a guy like Zach Gallen, you know, in, in Arizona who has 16 wins and has an ERA lower than that. So you'll wonder whether he'll win the Cy Young or not, but you'd have to think he probably uh, will be the odds-on favorite. Uh, but they beat the Phillies 9-3. to Phillies uh, still sitting in wild-card position. 
they are the number one wild card, but they are just two games ahead of the Arizona Diamondbacks and three games ahead of the Chicago Cubs, and then uh, three and a half over Miami and four and a half over Cincinnati. It is a wild race in the National League. Uh, Bryce Elder will start today 12-4. and four. Aaron Nola 12-9 and nine will get the start for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, the Diamondbacks beat the Giants yesterday 8-4, to four, so uh, they stay in number two wild card position. Uh, Logan Webb's going to get start for the Giants today, and Merrill Kelly looking for his 12th win will start for the Diamondbacks. Uh, the Cubs, mention them, they are right now the number three wild card if the season were to end today. They win 14-1 to one, uh, yesterday. Cody Bellinger, a three-run bomb in this one. Uh, Alexander Canario, his first major league home run was a grand slam. The Cubs win this game 14-1, to one, and it wasn't that out of control, but an eight-run eighth inning for the Cubs absolutely blew this one open, so they win uh, uh, 14-1. Assad picks up the win, his fourth of the season. Mitch Keller will start for the Cub, or for the Pirates today against Justin Steele. Here's another guy, double-digit wins. He's got 16 wins. He's 16-4 and four with a 2.73 ERA. Uh, so he may be giving Spencer. He may be Spencer Strider's biggest competition uh, for Cy Young. The Twins shut out the Reds yesterday, seven nothing. Tenth time this year the Reds have been shut out. Uh, Kenta Maeda goes five shutout innings, and then the bullpen does the job the rest of the way uh, as they win easily. Uh, the Marlins beat the Mets four to three. The Marlins had a three-one lead in this one. They let it get away in the ninth, uh, but then they. Uh, a win it in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, a Jake Berger RBI single wins that one for the Marlins. And Blake Snell, another guy that people think is going to win the Cy Young this year or at least has a chance to win it, uh, goes seven no-hit innings, struck out 10, walked four, lowered his ERA to 2.33. But he's 14-9, 174 innings. But uh, he's got 227 strikeouts and 174 innings. Uh, again, it's going to be a great Cy Young vote. Whether it's probably down to, to I would think Steele, Strider, and Blake Snell. But anyway, they uh, he goes seven no hit innings, and uh, they lose the no hit bid in the ninth inning. Uh, Josh Hader ends up giving a couple up a couple of hits in the ninth, but the Padres still win the game, a meaningless game, uh, but they win it two nothing over the Colorado Rockies. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with a very uh, appropriate song. Uh, oh, sorry about that. We leave you this morning with a very appropriate song uh, with the United Auto Workers strike going on. Here's a little John Rich and shutting Detroit down. We will see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.